Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God, would you use my words about your word to refresh your saints this afternoon. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, We've been uh, in a sermon series for the last several weeks uh, titled, How to Deal with How You Feel. And uh, we've been studying the Psalms, and we've been looking at how the Scriptures teach us how to pray, how to pray our feelings, um, how to deal with our emotions. We're emotional creatures. We feel. And and what do we do with those feelings? Uh, How do we deal with our emotions? And today, I want us to consider the emotion of fear. And I'm a father um, and so I've been in the delivery room uh, for a couple of births in my lifetime. And because of this, uh, because I've seen childbirth and I've seen the first moments of a child, um, I know that the very first emotion that a human ever experiences is that of fear. Um, I mean, the baby, the child, once safe in the mother's womb, comfortable, warm, and then all of a sudden, they didn't ask for it. But it happened, bright lights, there's a guy in the corner, dad, who's crying, and there's a doctor spanking them, and they're like, what is going on? I mean, it's like a brand new world, and everything is new, everything is uncertain. They're like, why is this, why, this guy's holding me upside down, popping me on the bottom, what's going on? And it's fear, and they begin, the first utterances of a child is that of a, of a, of a scream, because of fear. Uh, a baby's first cry is that of fear. Fear is uh, it's fear of the uncertainty of all that's happening all around them. See, from the day we are born, we experience fear. A lot of the other emotions, loneliness, shame, sadness, we may not feel those till later on in life as we, as we grow older, but fear we experience from the very beginning. It's the most primal emotion that we have, and it never leaves us really throughout our lives. Um, uncertainty is always around the corner. It stays with us all of our lives. Fear, uh, it it often drives many of our decisions. Uh, We decide things based on fear often. We vote based on fear often. I mean, much of the politics in our day today is not motivated by a vision for a greater world. It's just motivated by fear that if the other people's vision for the world came into being, it would all be terrible, right? We vote out of fear um, uh, we make decisions out of fear like our careers. Uh, we, if we, we, we make decisions based on, will I have enough? Will I be recognized enough? Will, will this job, career give me success? Will it give me fulfillment? Will it give me financial security? Because those are things that are all rooted in fear. I don't want to be uh, financially insecure. I don't want to feel like a failure. So I must choose a path that, that protects me from these things that I fear. And all of these things can lead to anxiety, can lead to worry, and all these states of emotion, fear can make it cause us to make all sorts of decisions. Um, fear can also keep us from making decisions. Um, uh, have you ever been paralyzed to make a decision because of fear? What if I make the wrong decision? Fear can paralyze us. We've all felt fear. We've all felt anxiety, and this is why Jesus 
His most common command in the Gospels is, do not be afraid. This is what Jesus, if there's one command that Jesus utters over and over and over again, it's, it's don't be afraid. And we've been studying the Psalms, and as we've been studying the Psalms, we've interacted with King David quite a bit. And David is a man who knew what it was like to be afraid. David wrestled with fear at many different junctures in his life. But yet he learned to say, as we're going to see today, in the end, I shall not be afraid, for God is with me. Now, how could David say such a thing? How could David say, I'm not going to be afraid, for God is with me? How could he say such a thing? How did his faith in God's goodness override his fears? How did he learn to be courageous oftentimes in his life in the midst of terrifying circumstances? What can we learn from David? Well, let's look at Psalm 34 this afternoon. David says in Psalm 34, and I want us to hear this as a prayer. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And now look down at verse 15. He says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all in his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is God's word. This psalm was written at a very specific moment in David's life. So if you've got um, a Bible, you may see above on Psalm 34, there's usually, sometimes there's titles above the psalms. This one, the title of Psalm 34 in my Bible says, Of David meaning he's the one who wrote it. It says, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. And you're like, what's that all about? I don't know what that's all about. Well, the account of that is recorded in 1 Samuel 21. So the king of Israel at the time, Saul, um, kind of perceived David to be a threat to his throne. David was very popular. Um, David had slain giants. David had done all sorts of things. And God himself had even anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And so Saul was intimidated by this. He was threatened by this. And so Saul set out to kill David. And David, he, you know, he's, he's fleeing for his life. Um, he leaves Israel. And Saul's army, Saul has command of the entire uh, uh, Israelite army, and the whole army is after David. And so David is just running away from Israel as fast as he can. The number one priority of the military at that time was to capture and to kill David. 
I'd be afraid, wouldn't you? (laughs) That's terrifying. I can't think of anything more terrifying. And so David is on the run. He's a fugitive. He's desperate to find some kind of refuge. And we know he's desperate because he left Israel and he fled to a place called Gath. He's seeking refuge in a place called Gath. And you go, well, why is that interesting? Well, if you're familiar with David's story, you may remember that Gath is the birthplace of a certain giant named Goliath. And years earlier, David humiliated this hometown hero in a battle to the death. David slayed Goliath. And the, Ga- the, pe- the people from Gath, they haven't forgotten about it, right? They have not forgotten about that defeat. And this was the land of the Philistines, the bitter enemies of Israel. And so they wanted David dead too. David shows up into Gath, and David's not welcome there either. But he was so desperate to get out of Israel that he thought he might possibly be safer in Gath. And, but he, he didn't have anywhere to go. He's got nowhere to go. So he gets in Gath, and that's not safe. And the worst possible thing that could happen, happens. He's seized by the Philistines. And what's going to happen? They're about to kill him. And so David, he's standing before Abimelech, and he's scared for his life. And David, he's sitting there figuring, he's like, I can't fight off all these soldiers. I, I've got nowhere to run. I've got nowhere to hide. He's scared for his life. And he goes, the only thing I have left is my wit, my creativity. And so David, this is like a scene straight out of a movie, David begins faking like he's insane. So I don't know what that looks like, but I imagine he starts convulsing, maybe starts foaming at the mouth. Remember that movie, Little Giants, where the kid put the Alka-Seltzer in his mouth? Maybe David's doing that, and he's like, you know, intimidating the guy. And David's acting like he's just a total madman. And the king of Gath is kind of freaked out, and he's like, look, I don't need any more madmen in my presence just let this guy go. This is, I don't want to do, this is not what I want on a Thursday afternoon or whatever. He's like, just let this guy go. And so David manages with his wit, he, he, he manages to get out of Gath. He flees further away from Israel and he gets to a place called Adullam and he begins hiding in the caves. So he's hiding in a cave. So think of this moment. David is a refugee from his own home. He just kind of uh, squirmed his way out of what was certain death And now he's alone in a dark cave in a land far from home. So there's total uncertainty. He knows that any minute now the armies of Israel are coming after him. He's in total fear because he knows if they find him, they're going to kill him. And he's in a situation where the worst case scenario is a likely possibility. He's afraid. And so inside this cave, he's alone, he's abandoned, he's fearful, And he does what any of us would do when we're running for our lives. He starts writing songs, you know. (laughs) Maybe not me, but if you're an artist, maybe that's you. You're like, the only way I can deal with this is to write a song. And so he starts writing songs. He writes prayers. And Psalm 34 is one of these prayers. And this psalm teaches us quite a bit about what we can do in the moments where we fear the worst. And the first thing that David teaches us in this psalm is he teaches us that we overcome fear with worship. Research shows that one-third of Americans struggle with real anxiety. Um, I'm certainly one of them. Um, but what, I mean, what makes me anxious? What, when I ask myself, what, what's making me anxious? It's fear. Fear is what makes me anxious. Well, fear of what? I, I fear for my children's future. I think about that all the time. That can get me afraid when I think about it too much. Or um, I fear finances sometimes. Like, will I be able to take care of my kids? Will I be able to take care of myself in old age? Will I be able to retire? All these sorts of things. I have fears about this church. 
You know, is everyone okay? How's everybody doing? I have fears about my own health, probably unsubstantiated fears most of the time. My wife thinks I'm a hypochondriac. Um, I blame Google and WebMD because, you know, I get a sore throat and immediately I'm convinced I've got the rarest disease of all time and that, you know, I've got moments to live. Um, I'm like Charlie Brown. My anxieties have anxieties. Um, I, I can, I can be easily become afraid. I can easily become anxious. And if I'm honest, and if you are too, um, we can admit that a lot of our anxiety, probably most of our anxiety, most often begins because the things that we love most deeply, the things that we boast in, the things that make us say, this is who I am, are threatened. And that's understandable, isn't it? I mean, I, it's understandable that I would fear for my children. But what, the, what the, our fears expose is just how fragile most of the things we love really are. Um, our reputations, our finances, our health, our families, those things can be taken from us in a moment. And many of you know this pain all too well. And we have, no, we have very little control over these things. And so this leaves us in a state of fear. I can't control these things that I love. I can't control them. Therefore, I fear what's going to happen. Well, look at what David says in verse 2. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. See, David knows that fear sets in when the things we boast in are threatened. Our pedigree, our reputation, our work ethic, our intellect, our success, our finances, our reputation. Our boast is the thing we lift up to tell ourselves and tell the world who we are. And you know, it was probably so easy for David to boast in all sorts of things. He could boast in his accomplishments. I mean, he killed lions and bears. He slayed a giant. He was at one time the most popular person in Israel. They wrote songs about how great he was. He was a musician. He was a warrior. He was a poet. We're even told he was handsome. He was the heir apparent to the kingship of Israel. He had a lot to boast about when he was in Israel and all was well. But as Dorothy would say to Toto, um, he's not in Israel anymore. He's in a cave. And none of those things matter anymore. It's all been taken from him. He's got no family. He's got no friends. He's got uh, no one to celebrate his accolades. He is now utterly alone. He is a refugee hiding for his life. And when it was all stripped from him, he realized that he had nothing left to boast in but God. He said, my soul boasts only in the Lord. It's all he has. What else is there to boast in? And it reminds me what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying when he says that is he's saying, congratulations to those of you who realize you have nothing else to boast in. All things can be taken away. And when you realize that, when you realize that you are poor in spirit, you recognize what is worthy of being magnified. And what is worthy of being magnified is the one thing that cannot be taken from you, that circumstances can't take from you, difficult situations can't take from you. The one thing that cannot be taken from you is God himself, no matter the circumstances. If everything you fear comes to pass, 
there will be one thing left standing and it will be God and he will be with you and he will be enough. And you need to believe that. David says, those who boast in God, their faces are radiant. Um, Victor Frankl, anybody heard that name before? He wrote a very famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. So if you're ever like, who wrote the book on the meaning of life? Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Well, he tells a story. He was, uh, he, he was a, a Jewish man who was, uh, spent time in the concentration camps during uh, the Nazi regime. And he tells a story about living in the concentration camps. And he says, you know, the Nazis took everything from them, uh, from their prisoners, took their status, took their dignity, took their families, separated families, took people from their friends. And he said many people, it wasn't the Nazis that killed them. They just, he said they lost hope and they died. And that's understandable in that situation. But he said that there were people, in, even in the concentration camps, there were Jewish people, even in the concentration camps, that thrived. Not because their situation was great, not because their circumstances was great, he said, but there were people that were still able to smile, still able to laugh, still able to have joy. And he said, the, he said it was the people who had hope and faith in God. He said, because the Nazis, he learned something. He said, the Nazis can take away everything, but the one thing they can't take away is your hope in God alone. And he said, there were people who had everything stripped of them that were still able to wake up in the morning and smile and have joy, even in the midst of the worst circumstances, because their boast was not in their circumstances, but it was in God alone. And so when David says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, he is admitting that he is brokenhearted. And he's admitting that he has lost the very things that he was most afraid of losing, and he has nowhere else to go. And when all has been stripped away, he turns to that which is certain, and that which can never be taken away, and he worships. And he says, I've set my eyes on the goodness of God. And so we overcome fear with worship. We set our eyes on God, even when we're afraid, even when the worst happens. But we overcome fear, not only with worship, but how do we worship? What is worship? So the scriptures say we worship in spirit and in truth. And so we overcome fear, not just with worship, we overcome fear with truth. Um, my wife and I, um, one of the things we've been doing, we've been married for coming up on 14 years, and one of the things we've been doing early on in our marriage, as many of you, a lot of you know, um, we've faced a lot of issues with one of our children. One of our children has cerebral palsy, um, uh, pretty severe autism, and lots of health issues. And there have been many moments in our, in our life where we have hit some moments where we weren't sure what the future was going to hold for our son. And there, be, there are days where we've been um, just, we fear the worst, and we, we, um, we just feel like we can't go on. And one of the things we've done over the years is we do this little exercise where we just say, hey, what's true? Because we can fear the hypotheticals. We can fear the what ifs and the what if this happens and the will we be able to go on and will, what, what this, this, this. But we, we can fear and we can talk about the hypotheticals all day, but let's stop for a moment and talk about what is true. And so in those moments, we can say, what's true is that God has always been faithful and he will continue to be faithful. We just sang about that. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. God has been faithful. That's true. What else is true? God loves our little boy more than we ever could. 
And God has promised that he will never leave or forsake his children. And God has promised this, and he's promised this, and we just recite back to each other the promises of God. And this has been a sort of a saving grace in our marriage over the years when we've had to pull that tool out of the toolbox to kind of lift our spirits toward God. And this is, I, I'm, this is exactly the exercise that David practices in the cave. He's just reciting God's faithfulness back to him and God's promises. He's like, okay, I'm in a cave. Saul's chasing me. I could die any day now. But what is truer than death? What's truer than a cave? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps those who, encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord, Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so David is going, fear, you know, fear's coming into his brain and trying to tell him of all the hypotheticals. And David says, I'll raise you on fear and I'm going to recite back to you the promises of God. And I imagine David is reciting back to himself all these times, he's thinking in his head, all these times God has been faithful. In the cave, David is tempted to doubt God's goodness and doubt God's care. But to overcome his fear, David is looking back on his fat past and he's going, I've had other fearful moments where, and God provided. There was that time in the shepherd's field when that bear was attacking my sheep and I took him down. There was that time that the lion was attacking my sheep and God gave me the strength and the courage to take that lion down. There was that time on the battlefield in Allah where a giant stood before my people and defied the living God. And with a sling and a stone, I put that giant on the ground. He maybe thought back to the time when Saul was throwing spears at him. That actually happened. He's like, God delivered me from that. He thought about when he was fighting the Philistines. He thought about just moments earlier when he was standing before the king of Gath and he kind of squirmed his way out of it. He says, God has been with me before. I've seen that he's trustworthy. And on top of all that, David goes, God promised me I was going to be king. So what do I have to fear? What do I have to fear? The apostle Paul in Philippians 4, he was talking about fear when he was writing from prison. He was scared. Paul was scared. He was writing about how to find, and he, he was writing to the church in Philippi about how they can have joy when they're scared. And he even says, I have found the secret of contentment in the midst of trials. And you're like, I gotta know what the secret is. What's the secret? David says, in, or Paul says in Philippians 4, verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, what is the secret to being content and joyful when you're afraid? It's to think about what is true. Take the hypotheticals away, think about what is true. Because anxiety and fear is most often comes about in our minds because what we're doing is we're thinking of all the potential possibilities, right? But we must fight hypotheticals with truth. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of Christian history. He was a pastor in London in the 19th century. Um, he would often, as a pastor, he would often have parents come up to him asking him to pray for their children uh, for various needs, for sickness, um, for, you know, you know uh, 
awaiting a diagnosis from a doctor or often have parents come to them saying, my child has rebelled. They've, they've wandered away from the faith. They've left the family. And parents would be distraught and they'd be fearful. And they'd say, Pastor Spurgeon, would you pray for our child? Would you pray for our child? And these parents would just be so afraid. And Spurgeon would always begin his prayers for someone else's child. He would say, God, we know that you love this child far more than even their parents do. And I go, man, what a great way to set the tone of a, in a prayer. See, Spurgeon would begin by reciting a truth that could comfort these parents. And the truth is, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's scary when our children are hurting. Believe me, I know. But there is something that is truer than our pain, and this is it. As much as we love our kids, God loves them infinitely more. And as much as you care about your own life, God cares about your life infinitely more than you do. And he will care for our children. He will care for you. And he will watch over you. You see, we fight fear with truth. This is how we overcome fear, with truth. A truth that is greater than all the smaller truths that make us afraid. You know, there's that well-known account in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus was in a boat with his disciples. And it says, a great storm arose, a great tempest uh, begins, and, and, and they all thought they were going to die. And it's such a funny scene because the disciples are just frantic all over the boat. Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And the Bible says that Jesus was asleep on a pillow, like gives us down to the detail of the pillow, like he was comfortable. He was, uh, he was asleep. And Jesus, I, I just picture it. These guys are so frantic. They're covered in seawater. And, uh, and Jesus just gets up and he like stretches his arms. He wipes the sleep from his eyes. And he goes, peace be still. And the water's calmed. And the wind stopped. And the disciples look at each other and they go, who is this man that the winds and the waves obey him? The answer is, he's the son of God. And when he is with you, and he has promised that he will be with you, you can say, peace, be still. We overcome fear with truth. Truth that he is with us, even in the storms, even in the caves. And with the truth that we fight fear with is we look backwards to God's past faithfulness and we look ahead to God's future promises. So we overcome fear with worship and with truth, but we also overcome fear with faith. Psalm 34, uh, David says, taste and see that the Lord is good Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who th seek the Lord lack no good thing. You know, listen to David's confidence. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You're like, really, David? You're in a cave, man. Lack no good thing. What are you going to eat? Like, what are you going to, you're in a cave. You lack no good thing. What are you talking about? Well, David says, what can man do to me? And you're like, David, a lot, actually. Like, man can kill you. Now, is David being naive? Like, is David being naive? Is he kind of Pollyanna, trying to like, you know, fake it till he makes it in the cave, trying to convince, lie to himself? He's not being naive. He's exercising faith. He's taking God's words and God's promises and he's giving them back to God. He says, God, you have anointed me to be king one day. Therefore, man cannot touch what you have said would happen. I am safe in your protection. This is faith. 
Believing God's promises in the face of your current circumstances. And one of the things I love in this passage, in verse 4, David says, I sought the Lord and he delivered me, past tense, as if it's already been done from all my fears. David's in the cave and he's praying as if God has already delivered him. See, David is praying as if it has already happened. And you say, okay, that's great. God, uh, that's great for David, but God has not told me specifically what my future is going to hold like he had with David. He told David he was going to be king one day. I haven't been told by God specifically how my life is going to turn out. How can I have faith like David? How can I have faith that all things will work, for, work out for me? What about me? I don't have a guarantee that my kids will be safe. I don't have a guarantee that I'll survive this cancer. I don't have a guarantee that I'll, I'll survive the next round uh, of layoffs. No, you don't. But you do have this guarantee. Galatians 2.20, you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. In the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. You have this promise. John 16.33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, there will be things to fear. But take heart. Have faith. I've overcome Remember, Jesus, just like David, he's speaking as if it's already happened. I've overcome the world. And listen to this. If you're, if you're afraid today, if you're anxious, I want you to just hear this, these words over you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Listen, we don't have all the specific life promises that perhaps David did, but we have the promise of the resurrection. I think of Jesus' disciples he told them that he was going to die on a cross. Like all the time Jesus was telling them this, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But they didn't want to believe him. It was just too awful of a thing to imagine. No way, Jesus, we won't let that happen. That would be the worst thing. We can't even imagine such a thing. But then it did happen. And they were struck with grief and fear. But then Jesus, three days later, he rose from the tomb and he appeared to them. And their fear was removed, and their courage was restored, and those same cowardly people locked in a room became the people that would, at Pentecost, then take the message of the gospel of the resurrection to the world. And so they went from afraid to courageous. What made them courageous? Seeing the resurrected Jesus. But Jesus promised that the resurrection is not just a one-off. It's just not that he resurrects, and then we just celebrate that. He promised that another resurrection is coming. The day when all those who are in Christ will rise. When we will all live with God in the new heavens and new earth for all of eternity. Where death will be no more and sickness will be no more and pain will be no more. And there will be nothing to fear. If this is true, and I believe it is, and I'm staking all my life on it. Then it puts our fear and anxiety and our worry into the proper perspective. In this world, we will have troubles. Yes, of course we will. This world is broken. There's a lot to be afraid of in this world. 
But take heart. Jesus has overcome this world. And this world is temporary. It's momentary. And these afflictions, while they afflict, are light and momentary. Because we believe that we worship a risen Savior who will raise us. And he raises dead things to life. So listen, whatever hypothetical you're afraid of, it may come true. Whatever you fear, however, God has promised that it will not be the final word over your life. You will rise again because he rose. We overcome fear with faith. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus. I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. Frederick Buechner says, because of the resurrection, the worst thing is never the last thing. Um, I, I, this is, I, I talk about my son. And anybody who's raised a special needs kid, it's just hard. It's so hard. And the, 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 the fears that come into your mind, the unthinkable fears that I often live with, um, they can be crippling. But I think of David, he says, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. I love how he speaks it so boldly and it's as if it's already happened. When I look to the resurrection and I imagine the day when the trump resounds and the Lord descends and he lifts his people up to reign with him for all of eternity, and he wipes every tear from our eyes. And he fixes all that's broken and everything that's been distorted and malformed because of sin in this world. He puts it back to the way it's intended to be. And on that day, my son's brain, it'll be full and it'll be whole. And all the conversations that I've never had with him that I've always wanted to have, I'll have with him. I'll go for a run with him. <laughs> and I cling to that as if it's already happened. Because it has happened. 2,000 years ago, Jesus kicked open his tomb. And he says, that's the first fruit. There's more coming. And I believe that with all I've got. How do I overcome the fear that I live with? With faith. And what is my faith in? My faith is in the things, it's the assurance of things hoped for. Resurrection is coming. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. My life is worth living just because he lives. God, thank you for the cross. If we ever are tempted to doubt your compassion, we can look to the cross. Whatever anyone in this room has suffered, you are suffering it with us. You have endured the worst this world has to offer. Whatever pain we feel, whatever pain we fear, you've experienced it. But that was not the final word over your life. The final word was that you defeated death and that you rolled open your own grave and you've invited us to follow you into the resurrection. And so we live with faith 
We live with faith that the resurrection happened, that resurrections still happen, and that you rise, you bring dead things to life all the time. You bring restoration to broken relationships. You bring healing. God, you are the God of resurrection. And God, we believe that it, it will happen again, that we will rise because you rose. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.